Okay, so Hebrews 4, chapter, verse 2. That was a chapter. Hebrews 4, 10, 10 comes next year. We're going to just uh, have select verses, and uh, as uh, Pastor Kevin said, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer tonight. So my verse for tonight is Hebrews 4, verse 2, where it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So I'm going to talk about the word and about faith when it comes to prayer. The question I have is, how important is the knowledge of God's word when it comes to your prayer life? How important is the knowledge of God's word when it comes to understanding about prayer itself, about why we should pray, and what God's will is concerning prayer, or what should be combined with prayer to make it effective, or on what basis can I approach a holy God anywhere or anytime for anything? How important is the knowledge of God's word when it comes to your prayer life? I think we all know the answer. There's nothing more important than the word of God when it comes to your prayer life. Because it goes deeper than our understanding of what prayer is, we're talking about our relationship with the Lord. How well you know the Lord and how deeply you trust him and how, how you've come to rely on him in your day-to-day -day life. And I think your prayer life, our prayer life, is an indication of where, where we're at in our relationship with the Lord. Speaking of relationships, I'd like to tell you a little bit about one of my very close friends who's here tonight. I'd like to tell you about Rich. Rich is one of my closest friends. And I've asked myself recently, how has that happened? I'd like to talk for just a minute about how close relationships, how close friendships develop. Obviously, over time, you get to know a person. You discover that you're like-minded uh, with that person. You have some common interests. You have some common goals. But over the time, you really get to know that person. You get to know that person's character. You get to know that person's integrity. You get to hear their heart on things that really matter. And ultimately, you become convinced that that person really is your friend and wants to be your friend. That person enjoys hanging out with you. You, you realize you can confide in that person. You can share intimate things with that person. You find yourself opening up and sharing your heart, realizing that this person, I can really trust this person. I can trust him with the, the, the details of my life and intimate details because he really cares about me. He really wants to support me. So Rich has become one of my closest friends. In fact, Rich has actually told me that he, enjo he enjoys spending time with me. He looks forward to the next time we can hang out together. I got that right, didn't I, Rich? Okay. It's a simple nod just to confirm. Okay. I'm not making this up. I can freely, he said, I can freely share anything I want with him. He's happy to hear because he cares and he'll do anything he, he can to help me. But that's how relationships begin, do they not? That's how they begin. That's how friendships are formed. The knowledge you gain over time about a person forms the basis of this growing relationship and this level of communication that you have. So the question is, how does your relationship with God grow? How do you discover who he is and what he's like? How do you get to know God's heart for you? How do you become convinced that he wants to, to be in fellowship with you and that he cares about you and that he's committed to you, that he's completely trustworthy and that he's willing and able to meet your need, whatever your need might be. 
It's by the Word of God. God reveals himself to us as we spend time listening to him speak to us through his word. And if you're not growing in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of the truth, then you, you're vulnerable to start believing and buying into false notions about God himself. You could start believing that God is mad at you for some reason or that God has abandoned you or that he stopped loving you or that he no longer cares or that you really can't trust him for some reason or that he's, you might start thinking that he's treating you unfairly or that he's too busy blessing somebody else. And if you start buying into those false notions, you just might stop praying. I mean, you might pray if there's a crisis, but if you begin believing something that's untrue about God, it will undermine your relationship with him and you'll start to pull back. So what is the answer? Stay in the word. Keep reading your Bible. The Word of God is foundational to your prayer life because in it is the knowledge of God that forms the foundation of your relationship with Him. Now, the Word of God, nothing more important. But how essential is faith? Notice in this verse it says, The Word of God they heard, they did not, it did not profit them because it was not being mixed with faith by those who heard it. Because you might say, well, I can understand having this, this close, intimate relationship with another human being. I mean, especially a guy like Rich. He's this, you know, he's, he's just this friendly guy. I can understand, you know, somebody with skin on that I can see, I can hug, make eye contact with. You know, but how do you have this intimate, close relationship with God who is spirit, you know, who is invisible? I can't see, can't touch. How do you, how, what, what does it take to, to, to bring that over into my relationship with God? And I think the answer, and I think you'll agree, is faith. The way, I, the way I like to think of faith is trust. We all have the ability or the capacity to trust. Would you agree? Here's an example. When you came in tonight, you probably without even a thought, you sat in that chair. But I would submit that there's an element of trust, trusting that that chair is going to hold your weight and not collapse and fall flat on the floor. Because somebody could ask you, when, before you sat on that chair, do you know 100% absolute without a shadow of a doubt that that chair is going to hold you up? The answer is no. But you trusted. There's an element of trust and faith in sitting in that chair. You might say, did you loosen all the screws? Is it going to fall on me? No. But you trusted. And I, I think there's trust is involved in, in many decisions that we make throughout life. So what am I saying? Transfer that trust to the Lord. Put that trust in God. Put that trust in the Word of God. And what God says in His Word about prayer, about hearing your prayers, about answering your prayers, trust in what God says about loving you, never leaving you alone, knowing all what you're going through. Trust God's Word in, in what it says about waiting on Him and that he will answer. Amen? So the word of God combined with faith is essential to your growing prayer life. Amen. So maybe what we can do is, come on, man. Maybe what we can do is, is there any, anything that you would want to ask or, or add to that? 
Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think faith, people will say faith seems fleeting. You know, and there's, there's times when we can be doubting and questioning. And, you know, and I, again, I think the, the being in the word of God is, is, is the answer to that. That we are continually, as a, as a discipline, going back to the word of God. We're reading uh, the promises of God, what God says about his faithfulness, and, and what that does to, to boost our own faith. That our faith is growing so that it, be, it becomes, you know, this growing relationship of, of trust. So you jumped off a diving board not being able to swim? What's that? So what's that a picture of for you? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you went and did it again, he might not be. <laughs> One time. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of that passage, Paul, because what you shared about the word, and then if we start thinking differently, and you, you shared it in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds. And then he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So the whole idea of our thoughts being shaped by the word and then the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty God through pulling down those strongholds. And the interesting thing, I've been looking at that verse, the interesting thing about the stronghold, remember I've, I've said often, what's a stronghold? It's something that has a stronghold. But that word is translated in different ways. And the first one is a fortress. The second one is a prison. And the third is a tomb. So the, 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 what can begin to happen, and, and also that word talks about the ideologies that are not of the Lord. 
So we can start thinking differently than what we know is not is true about God. And that's what he says, casting down those arguments and things so that we can trust the Lord, we can believe all those things. So it's, it's, a, it's a fight. Good word. So Lowell. My verse is uh, Hebrews 4.16. Working? Yeah. And I want to read 15 because it's a context. The writer says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are without sin. Verse 16. Let us, therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. And Pastor Kevin asked us to have a catchword or a phrase, and mine would be, somebody wants to talk to you. Somebody wants to talk to you. And many times I feel that we as Christians define prayer as coming before God and unloading our wish list on God. Now, like, God, here's what I want you to do today. Amen. Let's get going. And um, prayer is listening also. And you people are professional listeners because you're here listening. And so you already understand the principle of listening and hearing and receiving. And today, in our lives, at this time, in the history of the world, we're bombarded with so many people wanting to talk to us. The other night I was working on the computer and this thing popped up and I signed into it. They said, you know, maybe we can do this for you. So I filled it out and the phone has been ringing and ringing and ringing. And I answer the phone and say, don't call me again. Don't call me again. Don't call me again. They want to talk to you. And God wants to talk to you. Today we have news programs this afternoon. I sat down to finalize my notes and I, O'Reilly came on and I thought, well, maybe I can listen to O'Reilly while I do this. And I thought, oh, Lord, I get it. Turn him off and listen to you. And we're so bombarded by information. What people want us to think, what people want us to buy, what people want us to do. There are all kinds of campaigns and advertising and emails and voicemails and Facebook and Twitter. Cheryl and I just got back from a uh, road trip. <clears throat> and I can remember the time when we would drive together in the car and she would talk to me. And she's over there with her smartphone. Oh, Gary sent this and Kevin sent this and, you know, all of these things. And she's re we came in here tonight and sat down. She said A&E has suspended um, the Robertson, Phil Robertson. I'm here to, to teach, yeah. And so, you know, all of this information bombarding us, and I'm kind of like, you know, honey, would you please put that away because I'm speaking tonight. Would you pray for me? You know, we have all of this communication. We need to draw near to God. And what's interesting in the first scenarios in the Bible, Adam and Eve had fallen into sin and they heard God walking in the garden. I just want to ask you, why was God walking in the garden? 
He wanted to talk to Adam and Eve. But sin had separated them. Jesus Christ has dealt with that problem for us. We can enter fully into God's presence. We can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace and hear God speak to us and have that relationship. And I, I jotted down here one time in a pastorate. <clears throat> I went to the elders of the church. And I told them, I said, I'm so busy in the ministry, I have no time for God. And they thought I was kidding. And Pastor Kevin, I'm sure that you experience that as sometimes the crush of the, the urgent crowds out the essential. We are designed to be in relationship with God. I jotted down three things that are fulfilled in his presence. There are probably more, and I hope that you can think of more, but I want to share three things that take place uniquely in the presence of God. And, and I'm not talking about a specific place. We're in the presence of God right now together. Our quiet times, we're in the presence of God when we're driving together, when we're having a relationship with a best friend. We're in the presence of God. But these three, these three things are fulfilled in his presence. First of all, inspiration. Inspiration. I want to encourage you folks to receive fully of the ministry that you experience here at Calvary Chapel South. Because you are receiving inspired teaching from this pulpit and this platform through Pastor Kevin. He receives that. It's not generated by him. He receives that from the inspiration of his presence with the Lord. We all need that inspiration. Where God breathes life into me. Where God brings me to reflect upon his word. And if I'm not reading his word, and, and Cheryl and I read through the Bible all the time, and I read through the Bible all the time, and a lot of times what I'm reading is not something that is pertinent to this particular moment in my life, but in my time with the Lord or in some situation, he brings that up to me and gives me that perspective, that reflecting on his word. He, in those times of inspiration, I receive his priorities in my life. That's very important. Many people live without purpose because they have no direction. And I'll get on to that in a few minutes. The second thing that is fulfilled in us uniquely in his presence is perspective. Perspective. Many people, many of us are downtrodden and discouraged because we do not have God's perspective in our lives. We all have problems, amen? But in God's presence, we have perspective in those things. The circumstances may not change, but the way that I see those circumstances change as I come into God's presence. One of my favorite psalms, I heard Pastor Chuck teach from it up at Calvary Fellowship at the dedication of their facility. Psalm 73. The psalmist is going through how unfair life is and how corrupt the world is and how 
the wicked have everything their way and the righteous are downtrodden and the psalmist is all depressed and he says, I was all downcast until, and it says, I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. He received God's, pres- God's perspective in God's presence. You need God's perspective in your life. I need God's perspective in my life. In order to see things from his point of view, I jotted down, while Cheryl was on Facebook, I was thinking about this. I jotted down that things look better from God's living room than they do from God's field. And as we come into God's presence, we, we can see things as they really are. And we see the outcome of the things that we're going through. The third thing that is fulfilled in his presence is guidance. God's specific leading and prompting for me. There's much said, and appropriately so, about the spirit-filled life. But it is also important that as a outworking of the spirit-filled life that we have a spirit-led life. That God leads me. Here, a few weeks back, I had projects that I felt really had to get done. And in our prayer time, I really felt that God wanted me to come and help the church get moved out of the old facility and over here. And I said, are you sure, God? You know, I really, really want to get these projects done at home. And I had beautiful weather and everything. And he said, I want you to help them move. I came and moved. The next week, we went on vacation. We came back. The weather was gone. I'll get my projects done in the spring. The point is this. I would have gone out and bought material at that time And just, I came home Monday and told Cheryl, I said, you aren't going to believe this. I found the material for the project for less than a third of what it would have cost if I had gone out and gotten it. God led me. And I want God to lead me. And I want to be willing to sacrifice my agenda to walk in his will. Many people are afraid to do that because they think God's will is going to be some miserable thing. But God's will for you is the very best. I have a little saying that I keep reminding myself of because I'm not a patient person. Patience is the fastest way to get anything done. Allowing God to bring it about rather than me ram it through. The Spirit-led life. We need time with God. I need time with God. I cherish that time. Listening to his breathing, his inspiration in my life, seeing things from his perspective, and perceiving his clear guidance in my life. I want to know what to do. Jesus came to those early disciples and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Just as simple as that. I want God to lead me. I want him to give me his perspective and I want his inspiration in my life. Amen? Questions?
Is that what you want to do, Pastor? Should I get Josh out tonight? No. No. My wife knows my sense of humor. She knows I love her. Blah, blah, blah. And she does talk to me occasionally. The batteries go dead on that thing, you know. <laughs> I dropped mine and broke it or else that would have been the same thing. I'm too cheap to buy another one. I don't know. Ask Cheryl. Am I in the doghouse? No. Thank you. Were you really? But. Just so you weren't praying that I would stay at home. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. It's a good word. Amen. That's a good word. And keep in mind, prayer is relationship. It's as simple as that. It's not some religious thing. It is a relationship with the person. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Greg, you're you're up. Thank you. So I wanted to share from uh, Hebrews five seven. So if you guys want to take a look at that, I'm going to read it out of uh, what's called the Lexham English Bible uh, with a few little modifications. So Hebrews 5, 7, it says this. It's talking about the Lord, who in the days of his flesh offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him out of death, and he was heard as the result of his reverent submission and devotion. And uh, this... I. This is one of my favorite little verses in the Bible. I shouldn't say little, but it's one of my favorite verses. And I want to share a little bit about my own experience of passing through some things that brought me to, uh, to experience something about this kind of prayer. Now, again, the Lord Jesus 
as a man, is a perfect example of what a man ought to be. And so his life of prayer is that example that we target, that we look at, and we want to uh, follow that target. So first off, I'm going to look at three things here. But the first thing is he offered up like a priest. This is offering, and it's used, this word is used again and again in Hebrews. He offered up prayers and supplications, and then the key things I want to focus on are loud cries and tears. So when I look through all the translations, there are some other translations use words like this, strong crying. Uh, one of the translations says strong clamor. How many know what clamor is? It's a lot of noise. <laughs> strong clamor. Uh, mighty outcries, weeping. So it's not a passive thing. All these words are marked by either the, their intensity in some fashion, or volume, or both. Intensity, or volume, or both. Okay? They display intense feelings, strong passion. They are action with an insistent quality about them. There's something about insistence. How many know about that one uh, parable the Lord talked about with the woman who went to the unrighteous judge? She was rather insistent. The word used there is it says that he was afraid that he would beat, she would beat him black and blue by her persisting. Beat her black and blue. So a number of years ago, the Lord started to challenge me, and uh, he continues. I hope we're all being challenged by him quite a lot on prayer. He challenges us because he wants to bring us to that place. And uh, unlike anything else, prayer is that place where we are defining who God is and who we are in relationship to him. That's really what that's all about. So uh, he, he challenged me on this thing called lack of insistency, this passion, this heart, this ethos, I call it. Um, and kind of the conversation, if I can say it that way, the Lord was kind of having a conversation with me, and he said, really? I, uh, I think in these conversations he calls me Parker quite a bit. That's my last name. So he said, Parker, really, how serious are you about this? This is kind of a... You can hardly remember the prayer two minutes after you've prayed it. Or, I mean, how badly, and I, I had this very distinct feeling. I've never heard the Lord audibly, but the distinct feeling I had was, how badly do you want this? Is this something you really want, or is this just a prayer? And uh, shortly thereafter, as this, the Lord started to speak to me about this, I had a situation happened in my life uh, with my wife, whom I've been married now for 37 years. Praise the Lord for that. But we were going through a very rough time, very rough time. And uh, it was getting to the point where we were looking at separation or even divorce. And that's not something I believe in. That's not something I wanted. And uh, I was working at Boeing, and I would, used to, I would go out in the parking lot for, for months and I would be out there, and I would walk the parking lot for half an hour. And sometimes I couldn't pray anything. I don't know if you've ever, you know, in Romans, you, it reads about groanings that can't be uttered. And often I'd be out there, and I, said, I would say, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know what to pray. I'm just crying out to you. I have tears and the whole thing. 
Anyway, the Lord turned that around gloriously, but that's, that's what I think is at heart here, an intensity. Now, the second point in this verse is this. It says, at the end, the Lord was heard as a result of his reverent submission and devotion. So what I want to do is bring these two things together, this prayer and supplication with strong cries and tears, and this thing called reverent, devotion, reverent submission and devotion. And I think that sometimes there are some thoughts in our minds, some Christians' minds, that uh, strong cries and tears are not compatible with reverent submission. That if we're loud, that if we're vocal, that if we're that way, it's, it's incompatible. And uh, the thought is sometimes that humility is defined by thinking little of ourselves. I'm no good. I can't do this. I don't know how to pray. I don't, can't do this. And, and, and it's defined by thinking little of ourselves. But let me tell you, humility, true humility is not to think about yourself at all. I have a saying here from Andrew Murray. I put these sayings on my wall in my study. And I have this marvelous saying I got by Andrew Murray recently. Humility is the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Let me read that again. Humility is the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. So it's not thinking you know, bad about yourself or that you're not anything. It's not thinking about yourself. And in that intensity, when the, it's this, this verse describing the Lord, there was that consume, being consumed by God is all that the Lord was coming to him in desperation. Here's my confession. I, I have this confession. I think we all could say this. Often I have thoughts about others, what others think in my prayers. I'm Saturday mornings, I'm with the brothers, I'm with the, the Wednesday night five, the five, okay, and I'm praying, and I think of, sometimes these thoughts come to me, and I think about, well, okay, um, how, how did I say things, my words, what did I pray for, how does it sound? You know, sometimes on Saturday morning, I admit, um, I fumble with my words, I can't get the words out, that, that I've got something in my heart and I just can't get the words out. And I feel awkward. I feel, why should I pray? And, and actually at those times, the devil, Carol, he comes in right in the middle of the prayer meeting and says, well, that was a dumb prayer. You ever, anybody ever had that happen? That was a really dumb prayer. Or he'll say, well, that's really not in the flow of the Spirit, is it? He uses the word Parker too there. Parker, that's really a dumb prayer. And you know what I do? I keep on praying. That's the key. You don't stop. I've learned that God wants me to exercise my passion, my heart. And I'll tell you, one of the most powerful verses to me is in uh, Philippians chapter 2. It says this, make known your requests to God. Sometimes I think we labor too far and too hard to think about, well, how would God want me to say this? How would everybody else want me to say this? You know what? Forget about that. What is your request? Make it known. That's what God says. Coming back to what Lowell just talked about here. So I think in this verse, let me read it again. 
who in the days of his flesh offered up both prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him out of death, and he was heard as the result of his reverent submission and devotion. So the Lord's reverent submission and devotion was expressed in prayers of suppli- and prayers and supplications with strong cries and tears. And sometimes I, I think God, you know, I need, I need some more tears here to show you how passionate I am. And then I just have a quick word here, one more, one more item. A word about tools. This, I have a, again, I have these little sayings on my wall. Here's another saying from one of the Puritan writers. He says, neither, the, neither be idle in the means nor make an idol of the means. So tools, tools in prayer, doing things. They are excellent and they are useful. I can tell you I honestly love the A, B, C's plus D of prayer. Multiple, two A's, two B's, two C's, and one D. Do it. I love that kind of stuff. I love scheduling time. I love, honestly, at home, you can do whatever you want to do. I get down on my knees sometimes before God, and I just, it's just what I do. But I'm going to say this as strongly as I possibly can. If you think this is an issue about trying harder, and that's what the real issue is, I think you're wrong. This isn't about trying harder. This is about, and I think that this song, this song comes to me quite frequently, break my heart for what breaks yours. Jesus didn't have a problem, if you will, going to prayer because his heart was broken with what breaks God's heart. And so if God would come graciously and break our hearts for what breaks his, I think it would change our prayer lives. Break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I have for your kingdom's cause. Amen. Any questions? It actually, Greg, is everything I am. For your kingdom's cause. Am I everything I am? Yeah. Everything, yes, yeah. I agree with that. Everything yeah. I am, you're yeah. right. Often I have a prayer that says, Lord, here's what I am and here's what I'm not. Here's what I have and here's what I don't have. That's it. This is what, I, that's what you got. Yes. That's right. And the way we cast our prayers on him is to talk to him. And it doesn't matter what language, what dialect, how polished the prose and the grammar is, talk to him. And he's delighted to hear you and respond to you. He may answer yes, he may answer no, he may answer nothing. But we're developing a relationship. He talks to us through his word. We talk to him through our prayer. Oh. You know, like you shared about being uh, self-conscious about how you express prayers, and I think we all struggle with that. And I've heard you pray a lot, and it was always 
And I'm going to believe that the things around my heart, if I am walking daily as best I can with God, the things that are on my heart, he's put there. And I'm an, I, he wants me to bring them out. Yeah, there was a, Jake. I found that um, in my prayer life, I had a lot of trouble in the beginning uh, just being honest with God. Like you were saying how you were just, well, how does God want me to say this? And what does God want me to do? Which should be, you know, what God wants us to do should be a concern of ours. But how I said it was a problem. And I found that once I started just being honest with God and being willing to even share the bad things in my heart and say, like, I don't want to pray to you. I don't, I don't feel like that today. Or I've got this and this going on, the stuff that's not good. And to share those things honestly with God, too. And to be open like that with God. Once I started doing that, I found that prayer was a lot more effective in building my relationship with God because I wasn't afraid to admit the truth. Because God's not afraid of the truth and he wants the truth from us. So to be able to share that with God and be like, I don't want to pray, but I want to want to pray. Can you help me want that? And can you help me read your word? And those things, that was really helpful for me. One of the things that you need to remember about prayer is that and this may sound a little bit differently depending on which hand, but prayer is us coming in It's like Pastor Chuck says, the purpose of prayer is never to get my will done. It's always it's to get God's will done. So through prayer, my will is becoming more in line with God's will. That's the purpose of prayer. So that, that's dead on, dead on. You know, and I think another thing that's come up for me, I th- and I, I think it's really a question that a lot of us have. This is not where I'm going to go tonight, my sharing, but is knowing the voice of God. Because sometimes you can hear that and think, well, I don't know the voice of God. But I would submit to you that you actually do. It's really more letting, letting that, that uh, understanding of God. If you read his word and there are things that come to mind, there, there's God's voice in the midst of what I'm doing as a Christian. I think more it's like that still, small voice that everything else needs to be silenced in that sense. So I appreciate, Lowell, what you were sharing because it is, it is a nutso world that we live in. So I, I, I sub, submit to you that you do know the voice of God. It's more, I think, getting rid of the other things to enjoy the things that you are hearing from the Lord. That, I think that's the difficulty. Would you amen that? So meaning that, like Paul began, if we are not reading our Bibles, it's going to be difficult to know the voice of God, if not impossible. Uh, there are a lot of... A lot of uh, Christians that don't know the word and so they can be led astray with a lot of different voices and ideologies and and these kinds of things but if we are in the word and we're we're giving ourselves to knowing the word and taking the word and coupling that with prayer like Paul was saying then we are going to be experienced something and here's the thing you can't say to someone else well this is how how it's like Greg you're saying well the Lord spoke to me so I've never heard the Lord 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 audibly Right, and that's so true. I've never. There's one time in my entire Christian experience where 
there was a physical response to something I heard, and I knew it was the Lord. My heart leaped. I, I knew it was God speaking to me to go to Nepal. The only time that's been like that. But as I'm in the word more, in fact, another thought that, that I was thinking tonight as we're sharing, I feel what the Lord's ministering to me right now is I've got to slow down because I have a goal each year to read through my Bible. Uh, I like to have a goal of three times. That I, so it's 14 or 15 chapters. I, so that's been my goal, and I, and I lost track this year because of the building. But I felt the Lord ministering to me now. I, I, just slow down and read the word uh, in taking it in in a different manner. So again, I want to encourage you, exhort you as myself, whatever it is that the Lord is, is doing in our prayer lives, it is essential that the word of God is a part of that. Because if, 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 our, if we're not in the word for ourselves, then I think it's going to be more difficult to really enjoy time with the Lord. Would you amen that? So I hope that you're being encouraged tonight, as I am. Uh, and I love these guys who are sharing. I, I, Rick, are you here? So Rick hasn't shown up yet. Paul, would you call him? And No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and I like, I'm, I'm going to talk to you a little bit. Look at Hebrews chapter uh, 6. And I'm going to go to verse 9 through 15. I, I want to look just a little bit, and then I want to read you a story about patience. And that's what I want to talk about, it, it, just a, the thought on patience. So in Hebrews 6, verse 9, he says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work, and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered and do minister to the saints. Verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had, what, is, what are the two words in my Bible? Patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Do you know why patience is so important? Because it makes us pay attention. That's what happens. There's something about patience that's forcing me to look at things because it hasn't happened yet and so I'm waiting. And so there's a, there's a need that we have for patience and to patiently endure. Patience is the art of hoping. So when I'm hoping, but and if we hope for what we see, then why are we, we're not hoping. But once we're still hoping, then patience is the art of hoping. It, it, it brings into it the whole dimension of God and us believing him and then patiently enduring so that we will see and recognize that he is answering our prayers. He's actively involved. I love, oh, I love that. Patience is the fastest way to get things done. That is a fabulous statement. Isn't it? So how patient are you? It does, doesn't it? Depends on the moment. Patience 
is the art of hoping. So because we're not seeing an answer, because we're wondering what's going on, because we've been praying for a long time, and yet God hasn't, doesn't seem to have answered, what do we need? We need patience. We need to keep on keeping on. We need to keep that hope at the level that it's the God of all hope, and so we can keep it right up there and continue to pray. And I do believe that as we pray, God brings us into alignment with his plans and his purposes. So as I'm pouring out my requests, as I'm saying the things on my heart, as I'm telling God honestly and all those things, God is the one who's working in that to draw me to himself. And then it says, give me the desires of my heart. So if, if I can take hold in my mind, and I do believe it begins in my mind, I believe that prayer and patience is intentional. It's not going to just happen. It requires me uh, intentionally, okay, I'm going to continue on in doing these things until such time as God shows me an answer or whatever it is. I want to read a little story to you tonight. It's called A Prayer 15 Years Long. It, this, this is a guy, R.A. Torrey. His name is Reuben Archer Torrey. They called him Archie. And some of you know this name. Uh, he was late 1800s through the early 1900s, a preacher in Chicago uh, from Europe. I want to read this story to you because it, it, I think it capsulizes, I think, the, the things that, that are on my heart tonight as far as prayer goes and particularly the patience in praying for the people that we love to see them come to Christ. How many of you have someone that you're praying for and thinking about that you want to come to Christ? I, I, I don't know how long you've been praying. Uh, sometimes they're very fresh, and other times uh, they've been... Well, here's a story about 15 years of praying. Almost immediately after my conversion, another man was laid on my heart, and I began to pray every day for his conversion. After I'd been praying for some time for his conversion the thought came into my mind that I would spend the night in prayer for him. I did not succeed in praying the whole night. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. I was on my knees almost the entire night, but part of the time I was asleep. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> but the rest, the rest I, could, I spent the whole night in prayer for him. But the best I could, I spent the whole night in prayer for him. When the morning came, I thought, now you have prayed for him all night, write him a letter beseeching him to accept Christ. In a very short time, I received a reply making fun of me and ridiculing me for my attempts to bring him to Christ. The devil came to me and mocked me and said, that is all your prayers amount to. What is the good of praying? Here you spent the whole night praying for him and have written him a letter and this is all you got for your, for your pains. But the devil did not succeed in deceiving me this time. I continued praying for him every day. I kept it up for about 15 years, never letting a day pass without praying definitely for his conversion. In the meantime, he had moved to Chicago, and so had I. I visited him in Chicago, but could get no opportunity to speak to him about his soul. Indeed, he seemed to, be put, he seemed to put himself out to be particularly blasphemous when I was around in order to hurt my feelings, but still I kept on praying. One morning after having prayed about 15 years, as, as I was on my knees before God, it seemed as if God said to me, you need not ask for that anymore. I have heard your prayer. He will be converted. I never prayed again for his conversion, but every morning I would look up and say, Heavenly Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard my prayer and now I am waiting to see it. 
About two weeks from that morning, he came to my house to dinner. After dinner, I said to him, don't you think you had better stay here all night? He replied, I don't know, but maybe. I am just up, I am just up from inflammatory rheumatism, and it is damp outside. I am really afraid to go home lest the rheumatism come back. When he awoke the next morning, the inflammatory rheumatism had come back to the extent that his feet were so swollen he could not put on his shoes. For two weeks, he was laid up in my house. My opportunity had come. I had him. <laughs> Every morning, we held family prayers in his room. My friends coming in and out of the house, seeing him there, took it for granted that he was a Christian and seemed to talk more about religion than usual. My children, running in and out of his room, seemed to talk more about Christ than they usually did, though they always loved to talk about their Savior. After breakfast, when the two weeks were up, we started down LaSalle Avenue together. We had not gone half a block when he turned to me and said, Archie, I am thinking of going into temperance work. How do you begin? Now, my note here, temperance work was a 19th century social movement urging the reduction or pro prohibition of alcoholic beverages. So this, his brother is saying, hey, I'm going to go into temperance work. How do you begin? So R.A. Torrey replied, or wrote here, if there was ever anyone on earth that needed to go into temperance work, it was he. I replied, the only way I know to begin temperance work right is by first of all becoming a Christian yourself. He said, I always thought I was a Christian. You have the strangest way of showing it of any man I ever knew. How do you become a, a Christian? He next asked bluntly. Come over to my office and I will tell you. I took him over to my office, and as Mr. Moody, and he ministered with D.L. Moody, Mr. Moody was away. I took him to Mr. Moody's office, and though he was seven years older than I, I explained to him the way of life as I would have explained it to a little child. He listened eagerly, and when I had finished, he knelt down and accepted Christ as his Savior, just like a little child. Those who had known him in the olden times could hardly believe that he was converted. Some in the East would not believe it until they came out and saw him for themselves. Within a year, he was preaching the gospel. He preached it up to the end. I had been, been down East visiting old friends of his and mine and returned to Chicago. Hearing that he was ill at the place where he was preaching, 40 miles out of Chicago, I went out to see him and spent the day with him. I started to tell him about the old friends I met down in the East, but he said, never mind that, let's have a time of prayer. We passed the whole day in prayer and conversation, and a happy day it was. At evening, I returned to Chicago. As I was to go south the next day, I spent the night in the Institute. That's not the institution. It's the Institute, D.L. Moody's, and the Bible College there. About 6 o'clock in the morning, there was a rap on my door. When I went to the door and opened it, one of the students stood there with a telegram in his hand. I opened it and read, Your brother passed away this morning at 2 o'clock. I jumped on a train and hurried out to the place. When I entered the room where his body lay and turned back that white sheet and looked into the face of my eldest brother as he lay there at peace at last, I thanked God that for 15 years I had believed in a God that answers prayer. Have you those that you love who are wandering far from God? There is a way to reach them, and it's through the throne of grace that we're told to come boldly to. So Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4.16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And let us not stop. And let, us, let me also say, 
if you've been derailed a little bit from that, the rails are still in place. Faith, hope, get there again. And let's keep praying. Let's keep on praying for those that we love and never, ever, ever, ever give up. Amen? And it requires patience. Leo Tolstoy, his renowned novel, War and Peace, he wrote this. The strongest of all warriors are these two, time and patience. May God help us, amen, to patiently endure and keep on keeping on when it comes to prayer. Amen.